0: great takedown again right over on the arm again elbow from Horner Holy! looking on at Horner atomic drop rolls him up and has been. Tim Horner with only a rig side. Like he said, you're going to see a change in Tim Horner. And there was no doubt about it. You saw it. Take a look at what happened once again at the end of the match. Horner rolls him up and pins the mic for it.
3: The winner. This is the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling, brought to you today and powered by the IRW Network. Head on over to Network.com and check out brand new episodes every single Monday of the Triple Threat podcast featuring the franchise Shane Douglas, as well as John and myself, the Two Man Power Trip, as we talk all different topics, including current events, what's going on in the world of professional wrestling, and great moments in the career of Shane Douglas in the Ask Franchise Anything segment, which is getting to be the most popular part of the show, and you can download new episodes every single Monday on IRWNetwork.com as well as catch the entire archive on there as well. So get on over to IRWNetwork.com today and join the Triple Threat Podcast. Put those three fingers in the air and get over to the IRW Network today. And listen to the Triple Threat Podcast. But if you didn't know by now, my name is Chad. And as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner here on the two man power trip, the one and only John Paz. And John, today we welcome in. One of the more underrated workers in the history of professional wrestling as White Lightning, Tim Horner, joins today's program. And this is a guy who I would consider to be right in your wheelhouse. A guy that when you talk about underrated workers, you talk about guys who could have the best matches on the card. Tim Horner is a name that does get brought up a lot whether it's by guys like Arn Anderson or guys that are discussed in the same vein as a Brad Armstrong, a former tag team partner, of Tim Horner, it's Tim Horner who's one of those unsung heroes of the undercard and somebody who could really get the pace started in a, in a card or on an event where the crowd could see a good match and, of course, see somebody who is athletic and could do a lot of great stuff in the ring and especially during that time, some things that you didn't necessarily see All the time here, but Tim Horner joins the show and John gets to cover a a multitude of topics here, an absolute treasure trove of dissection of the career of Tim Horner. And John, as I get to welcome you in here, I guess the main question would be to you, what would you say some of the main highlights are of this episode with Tim Horner and some of the finer points that we have to look forward to today today? With somebody named White Lightning, a guy who is very underrated when you look back in the pantheon of professional wrestling, in one Tim Horner. Yes, Chad, back at
1: it. as a two-man power trip of wrestling, and back at it in a big way. Yes, with White Lightning himself, Tim Horner. You know, this was a really, really fun interview. It's one of those guys that I always liked. And I always admired and I always thought, man, this guy is such a great worker. He's such a good hand. Why isn't he further up the card? And, you know, different things like that. Obviously, in in different incarnations and in different... The leagues that he was in he was higher up in the car but I'm more talking about his you know WCW days and his WWF days when he was kind of used as that enhancement guy or that you know level right above that I always felt like he kind of was underrated in that aspect almost got a little bit of a raw deal from the from the big couple of the big leagues but he did have quite an impressive run in uh, UWF obviously former tag team champion with Brad Armstrong as the lightning express that's another uh, underrated team that kind of goes under the radar. The Lightning Express, Brad Armstrong and Tim Horner. What a tag team they were, and we do go into the specifics and we do go into the relationship and the tag team and the work rate with Tim we're talking about Brad Armstrong and another one of those guys you just throw out there like, what an underrated talent, what a you know what an unbelievably great wrestler. But, you know, as I I digress here, I don't want to go too much into Brad Armstrong because the focus here is Tim Horner, but great tag team for sure. And Tim Horner, great worker. Uh, We've heard it from even Arn Anderson on this show how good of a worker Tim Horner was. You know, he literally wrestled everywhere, whether you're talking about Mid-Atlantic, JCP, NWA, CWA down there in Memphis, Tennessee, obviously UWF, which I previously mentioned, world-class, all Japan Pro Wrestling, New Japan Pro Wrestling, WWF, WCW, he's literally been everywhere and he's done it all. And sometimes up the card, sometimes down the card, sometimes it as that perfect enhancement guy that will make a guy that's not even that good look good. And that's just the, the genius and the expertise of a guy like tim horner that he's able to do that make pretty much make anybody look good can pretty much have a good match with anyone you gotta love that about him and you gotta really have a lot of respect and admiration excuse me for a guy like that now of course i didn't mention smoky mountain wrestling yet and i didn't mention jim Cornette yet and that was on purpose because that is a whole different story and you know we'll definitely get into that in the interview there's been a lot said by Jim Cornette not too much said by Tim Horner but definitely a lot said by Cornette on his shows and not a lot of positive things being said but obviously there was a lot of um, animosity between those two a bit of a rift between those two as Tim Horner claimed to own a piece of Smoky Mountain Wrestling Cornette kind of doesn't think so and you know, there's obviously more to the story than that but those two aren't known for getting along too well you'll kind of get a little bit of Tim Horner's side of the story in this interview as we do talk Smoky Mountain of course because he did play a major role in that company and of course we do get into James E. Jimmy Cornette as well I mean, it's not going to be, you know, a knockdown drag out, but there is some interesting things being said, obviously, by both sides and in this interview. In particular, a lot of interesting things being said by Tim Horner. And, of course, we'll get into the time in 2006 when he was brought on to the WWE. Yes, did work for the WWE as a road agent for WWE's SmackDown. A lot of people may not know that. A lot of people may not be familiar with that, but we talk about that. We talk about Vince McMahon. We talk about how he got that job. We talk about a little bit of help from his friend, Arn Anderson, and talk about What was his time like there? Did he like it? Did he enjoy it? And why the heck did he leave? So sit back, relax, and enjoy another great underrated legend,
3: White Lightning himself, Tim Horner. Absolutely. And how could we forget the absolutely uh, unbelievable single recorded by Tim Horner, Shameless, which you will hear in just a couple of minutes here as we get into the interview yes you will hear the stylings of Tim Horner as we get rolling into this interview between John and Tim Horner one on one with the white lightning himself Tim Horner and I know our our friends over at the Book in the Territory podcast will be listening on the edge of their seats because they've said a lot about Tim Horner on their show as well in addition to Jim Cornet so I'm curious to see if our buddies over at Booking the Territory have some comments about this interview, and maybe uh, they can use a little bit of the, uh, the the content here for their future episodes as they talk about all the great things going on in the world of Smoky Mountain and what they cover on their show. But of course, we want to thank Tim Horner for taking the time and coming on with the two-man power trip, and we move forward to episode number three hundred. A huge milestone for us. The episode 300 is going to be one of the most talked about in the history of this program. I cannot wait for it to come out. We are slowly but surely creeping our way there and cannot wait to get episode 300 out to the masses, if you will. But also we want to remind you that today's episode is brought to you by the IRW Network. And every single Monday, you can get over to the IRW Network and download the Triple Threat Podcast featuring the franchise Shane Douglas as well as John and myself, the two-man power trip, as we talk about a multitude of topics. But this week could be the most special show we've done so far on the IRW Network as we dissect and break down the entire NWA title tournament of August twenty seventh, 1994. That ended with the most infamous promo in the history of professional wrestling that helped spawn ECW and what ECW would become all inside the ECW Arena on August 27th, 1994. And Shane, John, and myself talked about that moment for two hours. So get on over to IRWnetwork.com today and download that. So, John, as we say all that great stuff and we move towards episode number 300, hit him with a little bit of Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling business right here and get it on over to White Lightning, Tim Horner.
1: Now, for some TMPT business like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Please subscribe to us on YouTube, also, subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Also, while on iTunes, check out the feed for prior legendary episodes featuring the living legend Bruno Martino, the late great American Dream, Dusty Rose, The Enforcer, Arn Anderson, Ray Mysterio Jr., Glenn Kane, Jacobs, the phenomenal AJ Styles, lead WWE attorney Jerry McDivitt, and so many others. Also, while you're on the internet... Check out ProWrestlingTees.com Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com They are your superstore for all your wrestling t-shirt needs Check out our page, check out Tito Santana, Coco Beware, Kevin Thorne, Buff Bagwell, Magnum TA, and so many others Also, while you're on the web, check out our website, TMPTofWrestling.com And if you're on Android, please check us out on Google Play or Player FM Follow along with a two-man power trip in 2017 as we come to a town near you. TMPT hits the road. September 9th, the subway one-year anniversary in Keensburg, New Jersey, with the hardcore icon, Tommy Dreamer. October 21st, we hit the Legends of the Ring in New Jersey. November 4th, we hit the big event in New York City. And the big one, the granddaddy of them all, the big guy. Wrestlecade in North Carolina on 1125 with Arn Anderson and Telly Blanchard there will be a four horsemen reunion for sure so follow along with the two man power trip as you never know where we may land and now without any further ado a three-time Smoky Mountain Wrestling Television Champion. A former UWF World Tag Team Champion. A former NWA National Tag Team Champion. He is White Lightning. Tim Horner. Please enjoy.
0: Well, I'm sure. When it comes to loving you, I'll do anything you want me to, I'll do anything at all. And I'm standing, here for all the world to see, oh baby that's what's left of me, I don't have very far to fall. You know now I'm not a man who's ever been insecure about the world I've been living in. I don't break easy. I have my pride. But if you need to be satisfied, I'm shameless. Oh, honey, I don't have a prayer. Every time I see you standing there, I go down upon my knees. And I'm changing. Swore i never compromise. Oh, but you convince me otherwise.
4: Join us on the line tonight. Is the man formerly known as White Lightning? He is a three-time former Smoky Mountain Television champion, a former UWF Tag Team Champion, former NWA National Tag Team Champion. He is Mr. Tim Horner. Thank you for joining the Two-Man Power Trip of Wrestling. Thank you, Josh. Glad, uh, glad to be here. Now, it's kind of fun with some of these, you know, these guys that haven't been around in a while, like yourself, or you know, somewhat of a wrestling legend. You know, you've been there, you've done that, you've been all around the world. I'm just very curious about current wrestling and, you know, some of you guys. Do you still watch current wrestling? Are you still kind of invested in it at all, or is that something in your past?
5: Um, you know, I turn it on every now and then. I don't, I don't, you know, I'm not glued to it every week. Um, there's a few guys up there that I'm still very close to and, and, and friends, and I try to see what they're doing. Um... Uh, but other than that, um, I don't. So
2: Now, who uh, uh,
5: Blake, who are those friends? Who are you? I mean, Cain, well, sure. I'm close with uh, Arn Anderson. We've been friends for uh, many years, 30, I guess, probably about 30 years, a little over 30 years. And he's an agent up there, which I was in 2006 uh, for a, an extended period up there. And, uh, of course, Dean Malenko and Fit Finley and all those guys that, or my age and were wrestling when I was, uh, all those guys are good guys. They're not in the limelight now, but I've got one of the hardest jobs, uh, in wrestling today. And that's trying to keep the new talent in line and, you know, trying to, to groom them and, and teach them. So, uh, that's one reason that, you know, Chris Jericho, I saw him not long ago. He was here in smoky mountain, uh, about 20 years ago. It's where him and uh, Storm came in. And uh, so um, there's a few guys I keep in touch with. So,
4: Now, you said, you know, being a road agent in 2006, obviously I believe you were part of the, the SmackDown brand. What was it like being a road agent, and how did you get in, you know, at, at that point? How did you become an agent? Well,
5: actually, um, I had talked to uh, John Laurinaitis, Several times, um, and he he contacted me, and we we conversed back and forth. Um, and a uh, couple times there there wasn't a position open. Then when WWE decided to do ECW and bring that brand in under the wing, uh, they needed a couple more agents, and Ted DiBiase and myself uh, were the agents for ECW, and uh, so that's that's how i got got in up there uh you know i'm i was i was still able to get in the ring and get in the ring with the young guys and, and did on on days on t v days and and on on shows would go in early and and get some ring time with the young talent and uh, I enjoyed that so uh it was it was it was a good time for me uh even though the e c w matches were a little were a little different than you know the norm. But uh, but it was a good time. CM Punk had just came in, and all those guys from uh, ECW. So uh, it was a good time.
4: Do you have any uh, kind of experience with Punk, or was it kind of you know just in passing? I'm sorry. Did you have any you know any uh, time one on one with CM Punk?
5: Um, I had several of his matches when he was was started. Uh, as, as you know, the agents uh you know they're responsible for the matches. each agent has a different match on the on the t v show the raw the smackdown and e c w and so i had i had uh, several of his matches there and uh you know he was he was a good guy then you know he was coming in it was new for him, so you know nobody wanted to to do bad or or you know ruffle any feathers so everybody was just kind of you know what do you want me to do I'll do it you know so uh I have nothing bad to say about sam punk. Now, as far as being an agent, can you kind of like go through that? You said that, the,
4: you know, each each agent has their match stuff. Can you just kind of briefly kind of explain, you know, what is the process in an agent? Like where are you getting your information from, and then how are
5: you passing it along to the younger talent? Oh, well, uh, you know, you have a a producer's meeting, uh, television meeting, production meeting uh, every every day at TV. Uh, we sit in and we go over everything on the show, um, who uh, who has the what match you have? Uh, what they want to do in that show, and then I have to take that talent and then set them down and say, "Here's what we want. Here's what they want. Here's what we got to do." Uh, and and you you're basically you know laying the match out for them. Uh, of course, you want their input as much because they never they're not going to learn if they don't have any input. Uh, if I'm doing all the all the thinking for them. They just got to go out there and go through the motions. And uh, a lot different when now uh, than when, when I first started, you know, there was there was times we, we weren't in the same same locker room. You know, I've, I've stepped in the ring and met the guy for the first time a lot of times. So there was no time, to, no chance to sit back and go over, have three hours to go over a, a six-minute match. So, you know, it was different different back then we played off people's emotions and not so much all we all we got was you know the end the finish uh the rest we had lived and played off people's emotions and so that's that's not really taught now because you know the, the the matches is laid out and you know a lot of times the fans doesn't get get a chance to absorb what they're really doing because They've jumped right back up and, and are doing something else before some nice move or something they did that people got a chance to to really you know, see what that ma- what that move did or, or or what happened. So it's just totally different. You know, it's all geared for TV, you know, there's they're selling time, so you know, everything's is on the time schedule. So you know, just it's just different. You know, I had I had to uh you know uh, bite my tongue a few times up there because there was things that that I thought, but it didn't matter what I thought. You know, it's, it's bottom line is what fans want, so that's what you had to go with.
4: Now, as far as you know, a road agent is concerned, I don't know if a lot of fans knows, but you know, obviously they play a key role, a vital role in kind of, like you said, laying out the match and putting it together. What is kind of like, you, the relationship with Vince, with the agents? Is, is it a lot of
5: one-on-one? Is it any one-on-one? Is,
4: or is it just basically during the production meeting, he shoots you guys
5: off? Uh, any any of the agents who wanted, you know, at any time one-on-one with Vince, he would talk to you, especially during the TVs. If there was a question because, you know, you wanted Vince's approval on it. If you went out there and did something and he didn't know about it or he didn't like it and you did it, you know, you know, and you know, it, it all goes to the agents, and a lot of times the agents don't don't have the control over the you know when and 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 I even told Vince one time uh, I was uh, over a match and and the guy did something he shouldn't have done and you know of course it's my fault because he did it but you know and I, I just I just told Vince I said you know once he goes through that curtain there's nothing I can do I can tell him that I'm blue in the face but if you know. I can't make him do it, you know. You know, maybe you've got a little, a little more power than I do. I mean, you, hmm. you know. But so falls on the agent a lot of times. Even, even sometimes when it's not the agent's fault, the agent gets blamed for it. So,
4: did you like when they kind of changed that term from agent to producer and kind of made it more of that like TV lingo? Um.
5: I was up there when they made that change. Well, right before I came in right after that, I guess,
3: because
5: uh, you're always known as an agent. Even when I was up there in 89, you know, like Rene Goulet and Blackjack uh, Lanza and uh, Chief J. Strongbow, Rene Goulet, th- those guys were all agents, you know, and they were never referred to as as producers. But if if you look at what all the agents do, you know, they are the producers. They're producing the matches. They're producing a lot of things. You know, the writers sit back and have have ideas, and mind you, a lot of them don't have a clue about wrestling, but but they they have good storylines. So it's up to the producer to take what they want to do, and and put it in in wrestling terms and 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 tell that story uh, through a wrestling match. So hmm. that's uh, pretty well said. That's
4: an excellent point there, and it's pretty. Cool that you know you're the producer, you're the agent, of the match. You're kind of playing a vital role. You're playing a key role. But do you think that you know, in, in in your opinion, do you think without the you know producer, the agent being that experienced veteran, do you think sometimes you see matches lacking if if the you know if the agent, the producer maybe isn't a veteran or or maybe they're kind of um, not where they should be.
5: Yeah. Well, most of their agents are veterans. Um, Mike Rotundo, uh, Dean Malenko, Fit Finley, uh, Arn Anderson, Jamie Noble. uh, Dustin Rhodes was at one time. Uh, You know, all those guys were experienced veterans. And, you know, for me, when I was up there, you know, I was told when I came up there, I said, look, you know, you can't can't learn how to be an agent in six months, so don't try, because you've got a hundred and... Ten pieces of talent up here you have to you have to know what they can do what they can't do uh, what their temperament is uh what their habits are uh you got to know what vince likes what vince doesn't like what kevin dunn likes what kevin dunn doesn't like and now it's what you know hunter likes and what hunter doesn't like and stephanie you know so you have to learn what everybody likes and what they don't like so you've got you've got a pretty good job being a road agent or, or a producer. It's this, definitely this a lot. daunting
4: task.
5: Yeah, and it's it's a very high-pressure job because, you know, I'm going in there with uh, a couple guys, you know, and we're going on the, the match there. So, you know, I'm going to sit down at the at the table at the gorilla position. I'm going to sit there, and, and the, the timekeeper is sitting there, And Vince is sitting on the other side with the headsets on. I have a headset on. I'm talking to the truck. Vince hears everything I say, everything the truck says. So, you know, to sit there with him, you know, it it was high pressure, you know, because if you say do something and it's not right, then, you know, he knows you said it because he's sitting there listening to it. So everything that goes on, you know, during that TV show, Vince hears it and sees it.
4: Hmm. Now, with you know wrestling kind of in a little bit of a downturn, you know, would you blame that kind of on Vince? Like you, like you said, it everything that kind of goes through him and runs through him. Do you think he, you know not that it's that it, it's his fault, but do you think that uh, maybe he's got too much power and too much control?
5: No, I mean it's his. You know, he 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 took it and and he had a vision and and you know he's where he wants to be. And, you you know, you you can't fault anybody for success. You can say, well, you know, uh, I can't believe they're doing that or doing that. Well, you know, if you look at all those venues on TV, they're sold out every night, you know, and and the house shows may not do as well as TV tapings, but they still generate revenue. And, you know, there's not a – there's very few towns overseas that they go to, and they go to overseas – maybe once every six weeks or something somewhere. And all those towns are sold out. the the, the money generated overseas is is probably more than here. With their T V revenue and the sponsors and you know, they just opened up something in the UK. I, I saw uh Triple H uh doing something on uh somebody posted it on Facebook. So you know he's doing something right, you know. And and for all these these other promotions that that pop up, you know, sure, I'd like to see another promotion, you know, because, you know, it gives the guys an option. But, you know, at this point, nobody's been able to compete with Vince. You know, they say, well, I've got a a backer with some money. You know, Vince is a billionaire. And it took him 30 years to get to where he's at. And you're not going to turn the tables in a year and compete with him. I mean, he's just, it's just not going to happen. So, you know, but you know, I've always welcomed competition. is good. It's good for it makes everybody work harder. So, you know, with 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 that being said, you know, I I wish there was another option, but you know, doesn't seem to be. Yeah,
4: there's not much uh, you know real competition out there as far as the, the states are concerned, and obviously with uh, the the WV network, they kind of um, you know expanded their business model. Even more so, you know, they're doing a lot, of, like you said, a lot of the international stuff with the the UK tournament that Triple H kind of just announced that'll be happening soon. So they've right. definitely
5: been expanding. How, are, you, are
4: you familiar with the, the you know the network at all?
5: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, um, I was doing some stuff on it with a a good friend of mine, uh, Ben Throckmorton, over in uh, Carolinas back in '04, and and our vision was to to have a show and. and 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 to get it on you know on the internet you know and and sell sell our shows for you know nine ninety nine a month you know you can get all of our shows and, and watch it nine ninety nine a month well you know if you get if you get a thousand people doing that you know you, you're generating ten thousand dollars a month so and that was that was Vince's concept you know let's lower the price it's kind of like selling McDonald's hamburgers you know we'll lower the price. We don't make as much on one, but we'll sell a lot more hmm. so so now you know it's 999 which is a tremendous deal I mean if if you're used to paying 50 or 60 bucks or 70 bucks for the pay-per-view, you know you're getting it for nine bucks that month plus you get all the other stuff that comes with it and their deal was to have a million people do it. Well, a million people buying that at 999 a month is ten million dollars a month for something that you have already got you've got the tape, you've got, you know, it's already done. All you have to do is produce the show and and put it together. Now they're at like 1.4 million people doing it. So $10 million a month, you know, so over, over, over a span of 10 months, you know, you've got $140 million that you've generated. So, I mean, it's, it's just big business.
4: Absolutely. And obviously, you know, it's another uh, revenue stream for them and it's uh... You know, it's, it's big business uh, for sure, you know. We kind of briefly went over, but, you know, you said your time there in 89 or, you know, 88, 89 when you were there. When you were actually, you know, wrestling stuff back then, did you, um, you know, have a lot of interactions with Vince or not too much back
5: then? Very little back then. Um, I'll tell you a brief story. Uh, Brad and I had... had um, We'd been at the UWF, and we went out our first TV and beat Sting and Steiner for the UWF World Tag Team Championship. And we stayed out there till Crockett decided that he wanted to kill the UWF off, which he did. And then uh, we went back to Charlotte and did did some a few things. And then Ax and Smash Demolition was in um, WWF, and Mr. Fuji was their manager. And Mr. Fuji and I were neighbors. Uh, here in Tennessee, he lived here not far from me. And uh, so they were looking for, you know, they wanted a hot baby face team to work with. So they wanted Brad and I to come up. And so and at that point, Brad didn't want to go. He said he just didn't want to travel that much. So I went up by myself, and then instead of us getting the shot, thus the Rockers were born So, which was Marty Jannetty and, uh, Shawn Michaels. So who knows had we went, (laughs) whether that had, would have ever developed or not. So, but that's neither here nor there, but so I went up, I went up there by myself. So, and, uh, they really, it wasn't a position, a spot as we call it. Uh, but, um, I worked with all the top guys, um, they didn't hurt me too bad on TV. I always had top guys I worked with. Uh a lot of times they kept me off TV cuz they didn't know what they were going to do with me if anything. So um you know, I, I worked the gardens with the uh, macho man Randy Savage and and uh, all the top guys. I, I had garden shows with uh on their on their cuz they had local TVs up there. The garden used to have a show. The Madison Square Garden shows and things of like that. So that's uh, when I was up there. But, yeah, not a whole lot of interaction up there.
4: Yeah, I remember you quite well. Um, you know, you kind of like the, the enhancement guy, the job guy, but not really because then you were getting all those wins too. I mean, you know, feeding Iron my Sharp, uh, um, Brooklyn Brawler, all those guys. So it's kind of an interesting spot. Like you, you would kind of protect, like you like you said, you lost the Macho Man or, or Ted DiBiase or Rude or Perfect. So you were in there with with some of the you know some of the bigger name guys. So it's not like it's a devastating loss,
5: right? And and I knew that you know and 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 I've always told guys you know uh, not so much now, but but I said you know you had to realize what your what your position was. You know, you're the guy that gets beat all the time, or you're the star maker, or you're the star. And, and my, my role at, at that point, and I realized it was was a star maker. I, I had the ability to work uh, opening match or main event because in, in I worked main event in the Omni. Not a lot of guys can, well, a lot of guys can, but a lot of guys that was in my position can say that they worked the main event in the Omni back when in the, in the early '80s with the Road Warriors. Uh, you know, that was one of the biggest wins that I'd gotten. Uh, in 1984, I wrestled Hawk on TV. It was a tournament to see who'd wrestle Ric Flair for the world title, and I ended up beating Hawk. And so we went around. I didn't actually have a partner at that time. So we went to the Omni, and it was me and um, it was me and Jimmy Valiant in the Omni, and then it was me and uh, Tony Atlas uh, in the Omni. And then I went on tour. It was me and uh, King Kong Bundy. And, uh, and uh, me and Ronnie Garvin, me and uh, S- superstar, me and gosh, I can't man, there's, there's so many of them. So I just had different partners during that era, and it was it was a good it was a good good little run there, you know, uh, put me on the map a little bit. So, uh, and I just went from place there, but I never had a problem. I could always work, so I never had a problem getting a job. I went twelve years. I was, now, this is during the territories. I went 12 years and never missed a week of work because I always had a place to go. Uh, Rick Flair would, would say, hey, you need to take a look at this guy because he traveled. So, you know, I'd, I'd always tell Rick, hey, if, you know, you talk to promoters and they need a, a young baby face, you know, da-da-da-da. He would put in a work for you, and then they'd call and say, hey, you want to come in down here for six months or whatever. And 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 so, you know, I stayed busy. I learned my craft. You know, I tutored Arn Anderson. He'll tell you I was his first mentor, and uh, a lot of guys. Uh, Dusty Rhodes pulled me in the office when Lex Luger came up from Florida. He said, "He said, kid, he said this guy from Florida looked like a million dollars, but he green as poop."
2: <laughs>
5: and, and so I want you to take him. So I took Lex for about three or four weeks, and we did twenty minutes every night. You know, the second, and third match, just just teaching him. So they wanted, and you know, I made money doing it. You know, I didn't make as much. It was, it's, I, I, I didn't understand it a lot of times because I was leading these guys around a lot of them <laughs> like a dog on the chain, and they were making all the money, and I was, I was getting the dog food. So, <laughs> but uh, that's just the way the business was. And if you look back, you can see that, you know, you see the Ted uh, Teddy DiBiase was was. Got, came in and got a good push in the WWE. And then all of a sudden they pulled back on him because he was worth more to them, like a Chavo Guerrero, just keeping him pretty good, pretty good, pretty good. And then when you're Seth Rollins or whoever comes in, then they put Teddy in there and t- want Teddy to work with him and put him over, you know. And so Teddy realized that and, and decided that's not what he wanted to do, so. But... Uh, you know, you just got to know, know your role and your position, so.
4: And it's pretty crazy, you know, obviously, you know, we were talking about main events in the Omni, the Road Wars and stuff, but the, I don't mean to glance over, but awesome story about the, the about the Rockers and how the Lightning Express, Brad Armstrong and yourself, were basically almost tabbed or possibly could have been tabbed to kind of be put in that Rockers role or, you know, kind of be that, that you know, white meat baby face team, or you know that that, that really athletic young baby face team in the WWF at that point. So that is a, just a great story. So, what was your kind of your
5: relationship with Brad? Because you guys teamed basically all over the place. Oh, we were like brothers. I mean, we didn't have to tell each other what we were going. I mean, we just we just felt it. We knew it. And uh, and Bob even said to Brad's dad. He said, "Y'all y'all y'all like you brothers and were." You know, and I've been to his house, and he's been to mine. And, you know, and uh, I've stayed at his place; he stayed at mine. And and uh, you know, Bob took us both under. His, you know, of course, it, Brad was his dad, but you know, he he treated me like like I was a son too. And we were just we were just really tight. And uh, you know, I'll never forget the morning uh, a friend of mine that's in the business, Jeff Jeff Anderson out in out Knoxville called me. He said, "He, he said, man, Brad, Brad died." I said, "What?" And I had, you know, so uh, you know that just took me for a flip, you know, because my dad had passed away two weeks before, and I, Brad and I were supposed to tag in a in a little town in Alabama, and I called Brad and, and you know I said you know my dad passed and you know I've got I think I'm getting a case of shingles so I, you know I can't make this I'm just I'm just not going to and he said well, that's okay. Dad's going to be there. And he he said, I'll get dad to be my partner. So what they did down there that night, and this was on Saturday, um, Saturday night, uh, he got in the ring and told him that my dad had passed and this, that. And he said, but I'm, you know, my dad's here and da, da, da. And, and, you know, it it all played out. But I talked to Bob later and I said, you know, it's funny, you know, because in May of that year, Brad and I tagged here in my hometown. We did a, Fundraiser for the football team here, and, and uh, that was my last match with him. And I was just glad that his last match was with his dad. So it, you know, things kind of fall in place sometimes. And but uh, another day go by. I don't. I don't think about him. He was. A, he was a heck of a guy. A heck of a worker. You know, I learned a lot from him. Uh, you know, and it was just. It's just. I don't understand a lot of things sometimes. You know, a lot of things happen, but. Good Lord does so. That's all we can. uh, That's all we can do. And the thing with Brad is, in
4: our show, which is great, we always ask, you know, like at the at the end of the interview, we'll say, you know, like, oh, favorite opponent or favorite match or something. And invariably, you know, we've done 200 whatever episodes, so many times. Brad Armstrong's name comes up as you know, like, I love working with him. He's the easiest guy in the world to work with. He was the best worker I ever worked with. And it's just great to kind of get you on the line because, obviously, you know, the Lightning Express, what an underrated, great tag team. Can you, can you explain that kind of chemistry that everyone seemed to have with him and how much of a great worker he seems to have been?
5: He was a funny guy to begin with, you know, and everybody was so relaxed with him. And, and you know, he there's nothing he couldn't do. Uh, there's a few things he wouldn't do. But, you know, as far as in the ring, you know, he was solid. You know, everything was good. Uh, you know. A lot of times, you know, back in the day, that you know the heels usually led the match, and uh, most of most of the time, you know, sometimes the heel would get lost, you know, and, and and Brad would just say, "Hey, come on, come on, come on, you know, put him right back in in line," you know, as as I've done a lot of times, uh, but you know, it's just amazing because it, I, I go back to the Hawk thing. I beat Hawk, and then I ended up having to wrestle Brad. Uh, in the second round of the tournament. And so Hawk hit the ring, and I dug, and he hit Brad, and I got disqualified. So uh, Brad ended up um, working with Jack Briscoe. And then, of course, Jack Briscoe beat Brad, and then Jack got to work with Claire. But, you know, that's just, you know, Brad got an early jump. You know his dad been in the business and and having the book when Brad broke in into, the into business in Atlanta and then he he and his dad you know jumped right out on TV and then became the Georgia Championship or Tag Champions down there and so you know he just had a lot of notoriety you know all the Armstrong guys the brothers can work you know from Road Dog to Scotty to Stevie you know they were all they were all good workers all smooth. But Brad just had something a little special.
4: Definitely feel like totally you know underrated in the grand scheme of things. Unless you're talking to you know this from a fan perspective, but when you're talking to the wrestlers, you know boy, he wasn't underrated. They always seem to bring him up as one of their favorites and one of the best workers that they've ever been in the ring with.
5: Yeah, he was. He was. He was a class act. Um, we just kind of you know timing was wasn't great for us. Uh, as far as we were always on the heels of the Rock and Roll Express, you know they were mm, they were yep. both draw, drawing money. You know they were in uh, Louisiana and then came up to Charlotte, and uh, you know so we were, you know you going in there following them, you know it's it's just a hard act because they they got such a big push and and they were drawing because they were they were hot, and uh, so you know we it was just. You know, some of the tag teams wanted to work with us but, you know, the uh, promoters didn't 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 give us that opportunity a lot of times, so
2: hmm.
4: hard act to follow for sure. Rock and Roll Express, obviously another great tag team and the Lightning Express, like you mentioned before in the UWF, obviously former tag champ there. You mentioned kinda, you know, beating Rick, Steiner and Sting in the debut there. Is so what was your kind of your feeling down there in mid south? Did you
5: enjoy working the territory and how is it working for Watts?
1: Well, I worked for
5: Watts in '83. I left Charlotte in '83. Um, Jake Roberts was over there, and, and his dad, Grizzly Smith, was was helping with the book for Watts. And Jake called down, and he said, "Dad, I got this guy." Actually, it was two. There was me and uh, the dirty white boy, Tony Anthony. I don't know if you remember him or not. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. But uh, we both—he was from Knoxville, so we both went down together, you know, and. and and he he hooked up with Lynn Denton down there, and they became the Grapplers. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they told me I would be down there probably six six months, and I stayed thirteen months, and I left on my own then, uh, because what's what's like me, and uh, there again, you know, you got a utility guy that can work anywhere on the card, you know, and even Ted DiBiase said, I can't believe you stayed that long because he, you know, that's usually six months, and they send you somewhere else but uh you know i I learned a lot from from bill watts didn't agree with everything he did but but I learned a lot uh from the biz- uh, for the business and you know the respect of the business and and uh that was the first because uh, and the u w f that we went to uh wasn't watts uh that's when uh, crockett had, had bought it out so we went in but I don't know. Watson may have been there on, on the tail end when we went in, and because uh, we hadn't, I met, um, I knew who Steiner was, uh, and hadn't really met met Sting. And you know, the, those guys were gassed to the gills when we got when we got <laughs> in the ring. I looked at Brad. I said, you know, we may have to fight these guys because they didn't, you know, they were they hadn't been in the business long, didn't didn't understand uh, a lot of things that we did. You know, I knew they they didn't weren't really happy about losing the belts, but you know, we went in there and this was a TV, and we went 29 minutes on TV. It's on YouTube. I've watched it several times uh, just to reflect back on how how good the match was. Eddie Gilbert was in it. Uh, his dad Tommy Gilbert was the referee, and uh, I mean it was just a classic match because those guys said, hey we're all ears, just tell us what to do. And, and, you know, we went out there and carried them for 29 minutes. And it was good. <laughs> it was hmm. Really good.
4: Obviously, you know, both of them would go on to become some pretty huge stars. Did you kind of see that for them at that point?
5: Um, I knew Sting was special. Um, you know, I wasn't sure where, where Steiner was going at that point and he was kind of the same old background wrestler, da-da-da-da-da, you know, tough guy, you know. So I really didn't know. But when, when Scotty came on the scene uh, and and got with Robbie, uh, or Rick, uh, then, you know, I, I saw that happening, you know. So, I mean, of course, you know, put them together in, in Georgia, and it was, you know, another good tag team. <laughs> <laughs> I remember you
4: worked at uh, Stein Brothers, you know, and, you know, well, obviously a little bit later on in WCW. Did you like working with them? Were they stiff at all? Oh, yeah. I loved it. <laughs> yeah.
5: Ricky and I used to have uh, some some good matches, uh, you know, because we'd actually wrestle, 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 you know, in, in the match and, and put something in there that the other guys didn't. And uh, so, yeah. but, you know, I had good rapport with all of them. Uh, Scotty and, and Ricky. A lot of guys didn't get along with Scotty, but, but you know, I respected him, he respected me, and, and we got along.
4: Now, another, uh, you know, crazy team you got to wrestle in in UWF, and, you know, maybe a few other places, but uh, obviously JCP as well, but uh, the, the Sheep Herders, they come to mind. Obviously, people might know oh, yeah. them from the WF days of the Bushwhackers, but back when they were mm-hmm. the crazy old, you know, uh, brawlers as the Sheep Herders, what were they like working with them?
5: So they were good. they were funny, funny Johnny Ace actually John Laninus was their manager uh when we first started working with him um Johnny was their flag flag guy. He'd come out to the ring with him and and uh, do that um when they were sheep herders and then of course uh went up to New York and became the bushwhackers so but yeah, both great guys uh you know. Knew their role. They were they were mid card guys. They knew it, and they they you know were content being there. You know they got a few few title shots to give them some credibility. You know, but uh, it was just it was a, it was a good match for the card. It was a it was a you know a, a cartoon match sometimes. You know there was some funny stuff on it in their matches. So a lot of promoters shied away from them as far as being a serious heat getting heels because a lot of the stuff they did was so funny, you know, and they were, they were afraid the fans wouldn't take them serious. <laughs> and I, and I see that.
4: Definitely. But, uh, they're definitely kind of an underrated team for sure. I mean, definitely they were good workers, but obviously they, they had a little fun added to the matches. You know, when the, mm-hmm. no, I just skip around too much, but when you are in the NWA and obviously Jim Crocker promotions and, and, you know, you're wrestling the sheep or, or whatever, Always seemed like at that point there was a big focus on, on tag team wrestling, and there was a lot of tag teams. And, you know, like you said, whether it be you know, the Sheperds or obviously Lightning Express or even the Rockers or something like that. But as far as JCP was concerned, I always had the Crockett Cup. That was always awesome. And you see you know, all these great tag teams from all over the place. What was it like working, you know, the Crockett Cup? Obviously, you know, in JCP. But do you remember fondly tournaments like that and a focus on tag team wrestling?
5: Yeah, that was that was a big deal because um, I think uh, Tundo and I were tagged together on one Crockett Cup because Dad uh, Brad and his dad were partners on the, on the same one. I think you know, and they just kind of took teams and par- paired them up. I mean, if you go back and look, you know, you had uh, you had the Koloff, uh the Barbarian, and Warlord. Um, uh, gosh, who I the was there? Um, Midnight Express. Oh yeah, Midnight was there, and then uh, you know they even they, they even the monkeys even went. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember the monkeys, but oh yeah, monkey Mul- Mulky- mania. You know, like, yes. that was, can't that forget was them. Deal. Yeah, no. <laughs> and uh, they had that. You know, big, but it, one that, big was a, win. that was that was a big deal to go to to go to Baltimore and at the Cup. You know, of course that was. You know they they did some simulcast stuff, but really not any pay-per-views at that point. Um, so it was a big deal. It was sold out. You know, everybody came from everywhere to to see the to see the cup. So you know, Paul Jones was managing uh, the Warlord and, and the Barbarian in. Uh, um, gosh, I was trying to think. I had it on my. There was just so many guys there. They they, they could pair just about anybody up, and, and it'd be good good tag team. So.
4: Oh, yeah, it was a huge tournament. I mean, yeah, you're right. There's so many great tag teams, whether it be, you know, throwing and Tully out there, or, you know, basically so oh. many tag teams that have at that point.
5: You know, I worked with um, me and um, it may have been Keith Larson. Worked with... Um, now, I'm having a senior moment here. Um, the governor of Minneapolis, Minnesota, uh... Jesse? Jesse the body? Jesse. Jesse and, uh... the guy who got killed in a car wreck up there, uh... Um, painted his eyes. Um, uh, gosh. Anyway, he was, he was AWA star. You know, they came down from the AWA to be a part of this. So, uh... We got the opportunity to work with Jesse Who oh, Was it Adrian Adonis? Adrian Adonis. There you are. Yeah, sure did. See, I can tell these these guys, you know, I, I worked with Harley Race when he was a world champion. Now, it was a TV match, and, and Brandon ran for, uh, Canada. But he was the world champion then. I went up there in, in 1980 or 81, and uh, he was a world champion. I worked with him on TV. And, uh, you know, I was just a young kid. I was just <laughs> happy to be there, you know. But, uh, you know, I've always said, said you know, because everybody says, hey, did you ever, did you ever wrestle with Flair? I said, uh, you know, times, you know, hmm. different, different places, you know. Uh, and uh, I said, I worked with Harley when he was champion. Yeah, I bet. You know, and I said, yeah. <laughs> it was TV, but it was, you know. I, I did. So, you know, those are just moments. I wish I had an iPhone back then. I would have kept some of this
2: stuff. <laughs>
5: but
4: uh, Yeah, it's really remarkable getting to work with race and slayer and, you know, kind of being trained a bit from by the Briscoes. I mean, it's like a who's who and it's a phenomenal career you had.
2: hmm
5: Yeah, it was, it was, uh, but like I said, you know, I, I, I didn't make any, well, I made a few enemies, but, most of the time I got along with everybody. Everybody liked me, you know, and that's that's part of having a good night. If guys like you, they'd work with you. You know, if they didn't, you know, they they could make you look stupid. And, and if you're young in the business, you don't know any different because hmm. you're just out there listening and doing what they say, and they can make you go out there and be stupid and look stupid, and and you don't know any different.
4: That's <laughs> <laughs> no, great. He said, he's from Russell, Harley, race for the title in Canada, and... It really, like, looking at your career. I mean, besides the territories, you wrestled all around the world, and I love Japan, and I love kind of just looking like, wow, you know, who faced who where, and it's pretty fascinating. You were in obviously all Japan with Giant Baba, and you were in New Japan with Anoki. You know, what were your thoughts on
5: kind of traveling the world and, and landing in a place like Japan? I love Japan, and uh, my my very good friend Ted DiBiase got me my first tour over there. And uh I was over there with him for four weeks and then I ended up going back a total of seven times. Um but but it was great and you know what was good about that is, is is I would work with guys over there and uh you know we'd have we'd have matches, we'd go eighteen, twenty minutes and neither one of us say anything. You know, and to be huh. able to do that you know, and just, just ad Lib and go and you know, if he went for something I went with it, if I went for something they went with it. And it was incredible because some of the young guys said, how do you do that? I said, you know, it's just a feel. You just got to, you know, see him going for something, just go with it. And, and uh, especially the young guys over there. Now, the older guys didn't want to do a lot, you know, <laughs> when you get over there. And, and, and you know, you, you think if you've never been over there, you're going over there, okay, I'm, I'm the heel now. Well, they respect your ability more than they do whether you're a heel or not. So... I just did, went over there and wrestled, and you know, got claps and got, you know, you didn't get all this hollering and stuff that a lot of a lot of the fans do, or used to do, uh, over there. You know, they appreciate your ability more than your your antics. And then as it as it went on, and the more Americans that you know that started going over there more, and then WCW, you know, we we ran the joint show, me and Brian Pillman and and Z-Man. Worked in. We were a six-man tag in the first show in the uh, Tokyo Dome, the Egg Dome, uh, in '91 over there. So that was that was a big deal. That was, you know, Vader, Ron Simmons, the Horseman. The I mean, it was just a who's who of of people on that car, plus all their, their guys. And uh, so, you know, I, I love Japan. Golly, I. I don't know that I'd live there, but it's it's a great place to go visit for three or four weeks.
4: Plus, it seems like they produce some of the greatest wrestlers of all time. I mean, you're in there with Jumbo, you're in there with uh, Tenru, you know. As far as All Japan, then you throw in New Japan, you get guys like uh, Kojima, who's kind of a you know up and coming guy, Muda, and then you throw in a yeah. guy like Benoit and stuff. I mean, you've been in there with with uh, and, uh, Fujinami too. Can't forget about Fujinami. You were in there with some of the you know some of the best.
5: Yeah, I was over there in a the tournament. Uh it was me and um Black Cat was over there, uh, Eddie Guerrero, uh Benoit, Dean Malenko. I mean, it was a, you know, Tiger Mask. I mean, just it was a who's who, it was, it was a wrestling clinic. Was what it was. And uh that was that was a good tour that that I was on over there. And then um um Dusty called me in the office when I was with WCW, and he said, "He said, Hey kid, he said uh, you want to go to Japan.'" And I said, "Yeah." I said, "Well, whatever you want, you know." He said, "It's just one shot. We're just gonna fly you over and fly you back." And I said, uh, "Yeah." I said, uh, "Who am I gonna work with?" He said, "You'll love it. Don't worry about it." I said, "Okay." So I, I hadn't didn't know it, but they had been saying that there was a big star coming from WCW, and of course, they all thought it was Sting. And so, but anyway, I went and not that they, they pooed on it because did my stuff and Muda put me over like I was the world champion and we had a hell of a match and of course slipped him over at the end there. But you know, I mean, the people stood up and said, you know, wow. So Muda was smart enough to know that in order for it to be a good match, he had to make his people believed that I had a chance to beat him and so he did that and we had a heck of a match it was it was crazy and uh, that was that was one of my highlight highlight matches of my career which is
4: also awesome. Muda obviously one of the uh, he's one of the all time greats. he's not that it, especially when you're looking at Japan I mean oof my god I mean he's basically oh, a yeah. god over there mm mm-hmm. mhm you know, I love talking about whether you're wrestling for the World Title race in Canada, all the Japan matches, but kind of there's no place like home. And you mentioned before Smoky Mountain being home, and I definitely want to just touch on that because that's kind of a forgotten territory in its own right. It's basically the last territory, you know, kind of last to die and breed there. And with Jimmy Cornett and Smoky Mountain, what was your time like
5: at the uh, SM? At well. Uh... Jimmy called me and he said, "You know, what do you think about running some shows in Knox around Knoxville area? It's 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 a good history town." I said, "I think it'd be great. Um, you're centrally located here in Morristown, where where I live now. You know, you're 80 miles from um, Bristol, Virginia. You're 80 miles from Asheville, North Carolina. You're um, uh, 75 miles from." Carlin, Kentucky. I mean, so you're right here in East Tennessee, but, you know, your outreach. And we had a TV here that the demographics of the TV station went in all four of those states. So we just put our heads together, and and with Sandy Scott, and flying out to California and to meet with Rick Rubin, I'm sure you've heard this story. Um, He owned the Deaf American Records and the Red Hot Chili Peppers and ended up, taking Johnny Cash under his wings there on on the last but he was a big wrestling fan and we went out there and, and uh, you know met with him and, and you know we sealed the deal by getting him a pair of Rick Flair's boots overnight to him so, <laughs> so that, wow. That, that's how that all all became. Wow. And so, so he funded what we were doing. You know, we were we were running uh Thursday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday towns um Doing our TVs on Monday nights, uh, which was hard. We were doing them at different venues, which is hard. Um, and, it, and it and it took off. And our whole idea was wrestling the way it used to be and the way you like it. And it and it caught on. And so, you know, looking back, you see how many guys. That came through here that w- went on to be stars you know chris Jericho came through here kane came through here uh Bob Holly uh came through here um uh al snow came through here uh D-Lo Brown came through here um gosh I don't know i mean you know so we wanted to be, and that was my my idea was to be a like a triple a Ball, ball club does, you know, I, we, I wanted to do, you know, send them guys, you know, get guys ready because there was no place for guys to go learn anymore. You know, you could, used to, when I started, you could go down to Louisiana and, and learn a trade and then you'd just, you know, get get beat every night or do whatever and then, you know, move to the Carolinas and you could be a star. Nobody knew it. Nobody knew any different because there, was, there wasn't cable and, and everybody couldn't see you. So uh we thought, you know, we could produce some talent here, which which, you know, proofs in the pudding. <laughs> we did. And uh and then Jimmy, you know, wanted to do more with them, you know, and I said, you know, they're gonna come down here. We don't need to and, and us be the mid card. We need to we need to at least work with them in the same match so we can at least give us some credibility, you know put us on the same level as him and then one thing led to another and he got to wanting to do more up there, and more up there, and, you know, and I said, you know, we spent three or four years saying the way we like it, the way it used to be. And now you're, you know, you were kind of doing the same thing. So anyway, we had differences of opinions and, and I just kind of bowed out gracefully um, with that, but it was good times. I mean, we, we drew, you know, 6,000 people in Knoxville Coliseum, which was unheard of, uh, for a a small promotion. Uh, We ran shows and had all kinds of, uh, you know, Fire on the Mountain, uh, Thanksgiving Thunder, uh, just little pay-per-view things. Well, it actually wasn't pay-per-views. They were just big shows. But we did them all like Thanksgiving Thunder. That whole week was Thanksgiving Thunder in four different towns. And so, and it was good, you know, uh, but, you know, all good things come to an end, so, and uh, Smokey Mountain was one of them, but, I mean, I would look back on it as a success as far as what we wanted it to do at the beginning, um, it just, we just kind of veered off uh, there toward the end, so
4: such an underrated territory and looking back and kind of watching stuff and going through it whether it be YouTube or wherever. I think they even have some of it on the network now, but, uh, you know, it's always fun looking back, watching Smoky Mountain. Were you a part owner of Smokey Mountain or were you in, in the, the high, you know, hierarchy of Smoky
5: Mountain? Yeah. Well, it was, it, we were supposedly partners, <laughs> hmm. you know, uh, gentlemen's agreement. Nobody had anything on paper, you know, uh, which if I had it to go back and do, I would have done, because I, I'm, I've heard that Cornette ended up selling all the tapes to Vince for a quarter million dollars or whatever it was. Don't know that for sure. That's just hearsay, but, you know. But uh, I certainly never got any of that, and uh, Sandy Scott never did either, so. But that's water under the bridge, too, so. But, uh hmm. Yeah, it was just, uh, you know, just difference of opinion, you know.
2: Uh,
5: it's like I say, you never know somebody until you live with them or go into business with them, so <laughs> you, you you learn quick. So Oh, yeah, yep, true.
4: And then, you know, after Smokey Man, you end up going back to WCW, kind of like you said, kind of in that enhancement or in that star maker role. Did you enjoy going back to WCW, you know, hanging out with your old buddy, Arn Anderson,
5: and uh, wrestling Flair a couple times again? Um, yeah, because I, I was, um, I was working for Vince, and then, you know, Flair came up there, and then Flair went back, and then, you know, uh, a couple guys called me and said, hey, you know, they're, they're trying to go against Vince, you know, guys are getting guaranteed contracts, you know, and uh, so, you know, I, tried to make the jump back, and, and, uh, uh, WWE, uh, well, I guess I'm getting ahead of myself here, maybe, but anyway, ended up going back, um, you know, I was, I was up there with, with, um, Owen Hart, Owen was doing Star, uh, Blue Blazer, and so, you know, I wanted to do something maybe with him, uh, actually, um, um I was having a senior moment again. Um the guy that um ate the turnbuckles. Um George Steele. George Steele, Animal Steele. He was doing the mime gimmick. And he told me, he sat me down, he said I'm going to events with an idea. So he wanted he he wanted to me to go under a hood and be the mime.
2: <laughs> and,
5: and and him manage me. And of course they didn't go for it, I guess. But anyway, so I came back and I said, well, heck, I I can do a Star Blazer thing, you know? And I couldn't sell Oli on it, you know, because by the time I'd gotten back down there with Flair, Flair had already gone or wasn't booking and Oli was back booking and Oli just, he didn't, Oli wasn't a gimmick guy. Hmm. You know, he believed in the wrestling and so I couldn't sell him on it, but, you know, he let us, we had had a little brief run with the, Star Blazer, so that
4: but, was a Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting gimmick and then you don't have to go back to Smokey Man and skip around too much, but you also did a different gimmick there. You were Kendo the Samurai.
5: Kendo the Samurai, yeah. Did uh, did that for uh you know, I I knew at that point when I did that that I was gonna be here a while and you know, you in a in a small territory like this, you you can burn yourself out. So I thought you know, we talked about. It. I said, Jimmy. You know, I said, you know, if I'm gonna be here, you know, I don't want to be on every card, every every week, every. You know. So we decided. I said, well, I said, well, let me go under under the hood as a heel and work with some of these guys that, that that can't, don't know how. You know. And so we did the the kendo samurai thing and and did something with uh, Jake Snake when he came in and and. Uh, you know, it did the did the green and the the whole bit? I mean, the people bought it, lock, stock, barrel. I mean, it was it was a good deal. And then uh, uh, it just uh, I don't think I don't think Jimmy wanted it to go. I mean, it got over more than he thought it was going to be. And uh, and if you know Cornette, you know he's he's going to be the top heel. Oh yeah. You know, You know, regardless, it's kind of like Jerry Lawler in Memphis. You know, if you came in and you got over, was about to get over Jerry Lawler, he'd turn your heel, then beat you, then fire you. (laughs) So, (laughs) so, but, uh, you know, that's just, those guys were were raised out there in that Memphis territory. I mean,
3: and and it's not bad
5: because there's a lot of good stuff come out of Memphis. uh, But, you know, they, they all, a lot of them have the same mindset, so. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I ended up leaving and a couple other guys, uh, Bobby Blaze was kid though after I left and, um, uh, a kid out of Atlanta came up and did it for, he was, he was with Buff Bagwell. That was the postman, postman or something. can't think of his name, but.
4: Oh, Scotty Riggs.
5: Scotty Riggs. Yeah. He came up and did it some for him. So. I mean, we we had talent here. Golly. I mean, you look at the cars, Paul Warndor, Ronnie Garvin, uh, Rock and Roll Express. Uh, Brad was here. You know, I was here. Uh, Bobby Eaton. Bobby Eaton was here. Tom Pritchard was here. Stan Lane was here. Um, Dirty White Boy was here. Um, I mean, just the list goes on of, of talented guys uh most of our talent Candido, I had a heck of a run with him uh was a good hand uh, so you know it was just uh it went three or four years but and, you know in reality it was short lived but it was good <laughs> yep
4: yeah it's funny. Smoky Mountain was a little bit of a feeder territory. I know you're saying you kind of wanted to be more so a feeder territory. You know, with what they're doing today with NXT, do you think that that's kind of kind of what Smoky Mountain should have been? You know, kind of that feeder league, and now obviously Triple H created NXT, and that's really the feeder league for the current WWE. Well,
5: exactly, and that's that was my point back then. I said, you know, we should be a, like a feeder feeder for them. You know, because. You know, it was the beginning of the end as far as territories. There was no place for anybody to go learn, so you know they could get their feet wet here, and obviously did. I mean, if you look, like I said, Kane was up. Kane went up there, and and, uh, and uh, Chris Jericho and uh, Storm. Um, gosh, I can't think how many guys came through here. Adam Baum. Uh, I think he was night nice talker so down there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brian Clark, yeah. You know, Kevin Sullivan was here. I mean, there was just a ton of talent here. And, uh, you know, everybody was trying to hang on to the business and because it was really, you know, you're either WCW or you're WWE. And no no other place to go at that point. And and, and just to mention TNA, you know, I think had they went in with a mindset of doing something different other than being like, you know because if you're going to be like somebody you're already second huh. so you know there's there's no you know you gotta you gotta be different you know <laughs> i just wonder how much money went through down there the guys came through because i know some of the guys that just come through there and, and just getting what they could milking you know milking the system getting a check going through the motions you know Well, oh, we'll get this till it goes around and we'll, we'll get somebody else and and you know that's just that's just the nature of the business at that point. So, and I guess they're still trying to float. <laughs> hmm.
4: Barely. I didn't watch their show either. So. Barely, they're hanging on barely. Yeah. As we uh, start to wind it down a bit here, I know we talked a little bit about some of your favorite matches, and man, you've been all over the place. To- totally one of those underrated legends where. You can go anywhere and have a good match with anyone, whether it be Japan or, or Memphis or down the Smoky Mountains or the WWF or WCW or wherever. But do you have a favorite match? I know you're talking a little bit about Muda and Candido and some of these other guys, but do you have any other favorite matches that really stick out
5: to you? Yeah, when I was um, I was working, I was in Atlanta and I was wrestling Les Thornton for the World Junior Heavyweight title, and I always heard Flair talking about going hours, you know, because he used to do that a lot, you know, and so I had, I went hours with Les Thornton and Marcus at Queensbury Rules, uh, which was, you know, if you took a guy down, you had to let him up, you know, and then when that would happen, you know, I'd let him up, he'd cheap shot me, you know, it was just, it was, it was a good gimmick. Match for him, but but he was all over you. And you know, I just I was in shape back then, and we we went hours, we went like we went on tour in um, Ohio. We left TV after TV taping on Saturday morning, and started Saturday when I waited the Friday, and I went hour with him every night, and it was fabulous. I mean, it was just it was just one of those everything clicked, even for a gimmick match, but to go an hour. You know, and keep the people. It's hard to get, hard to keep the people's attention for an hour, but but we did it. I mean, it was it was crazy. Uh, that was that was some of my, the matches that I remember. Um, I had I had great matches with Rip Rogers, uh, in the Continental down there uh, with him and um, Kenny Lucas. I don't know if you remember Kenny Lucas. He was out of the, out of Texas. Only older guys. Uh, yes, yep. had some some good matches with him. Old school matches, you know. Uh, but with that being said, my I guess some of the best times were tagging with Brad in in, in our matches, working with um, Tiger Conway Jr. and and Pez Watley as the job tones <laughs> was 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 good out in the old UWF.
4: Yes, Mid-South, yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
5: Mid, Mid-South, yeah. And then, you know, working with, um, like you said, the Sheep Herders and, and, and those guys. And, you know, we always wanted to work with Ricky and Robert, just to say we did. You know, been a little different match, but but working with Ivan Koloff and and uh, Barry, um, Darso uh, Darso, yeah. When he was crew chef I and mean, then to be able to work with 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 them, Bill and him as as acts an and smash, not as a team, but but I worked with them up there. You know, they'd give me another another guy sometimes, and and get to work with them a little bit. But yeah, it's amazing. I, I wish I'd have written a lot of this stuff down as <laughs> I was going. You know, because I, I sat and think, and I thought, well, I, I'm going to write this down because I want to think about this at a at a different venue somewhere, you know, so. But, you know, flying around with Ronnie Garvin and his plane and, and with the, the and up in Canada, and because Ronnie was French Canadian, so I got to run around with them a lot up there. And, uh, you know, it was just, just some good times.
4: Ron Garvin, uh great uh, underrated guy as well. You know, throw him in, in there uh, yeah, him in there as well. But, uh, you know,
2: is
3: there any
4: opponents out there that, you know, kind of were one of your favorites, but maybe they're a bit, you know, under the radar, under, underrated, kind of like yourself? Is there someone out there, like, you know, where you wouldn't really know right offhand, like, oh, man, that guy was great?
5: Um, you know, uh, <laughs> There was there was a, there's a lot of uh, just some guys I didn't even know that 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 uh, that I've worked with on the independence and in, in, in the last twelve or thirteen years that were actually good, but never got the opportunity. You know, and I, I couldn't sit here and tell you their names. I don't think. Uh, you know, there's a there's a lot of guys that were were in my situation as heels. They could work and and outwork some of the guys that were getting the opportunities, but. You know, just, just never got that opportunity. You know, uh, uh, white boy was a good heel, you know, and they took him up there and made him a, a hillbilly. instead dead, you know, which wasn't what he'd been, you know, the dirty white boy from Bucks North, Tennessee. Uh, and then, you know, um, you know, how you beat George South, good gosh. <laughs> <laughs> He's he's trained countless people, you know, taught them how to work the old way, I guess, you know, which I tell them, you know, learn this and then go do the other because when you get lost, you can always go back to the old way uh, of so doing things, you know, just ad-libbing as you go. Because a lot of guys today don't know how to do that, you know. So, but, yeah, gosh, that's, that's a tough one. There's been a lot of guys uh, A lot of guys that, that are in smaller territories that just primarily work smaller t- territories. Norvell Austin down in the Continental was a good heel. Uh, big old black boy, he was good, you know. And uh, but and and a lot of guys didn't want to. Didn't want to, They were content being a big fish in a little pond. Didn't want to spread your wings and and go for you know other things. That that probably could have had they been given the opportunity. So,
4: hmm. yeah, looking looking back at your career, you know, kind of one big final question for you: What do like you think th- is kind of like the, the lasting legacy that you're leaving on the business? I know you said you you were great. You could make the event. You could be the star maker. You could be the enhancement guy. What do you think is kind of like your lasting legacy? Your stamp you're going to leave behind on the business.
5: Um. I would hope that the the guys would look at me as a as a true professional. Um, I always tried to do what the promoter wanted, whether I agreed with it or not. Um, I didn't have a problem. I, it was a it it was a challenge to me to take somebody out there and make them look better than they could possibly do it themselves. And I, I've often said, and I, I, I said this about Brad, and I, I, I kind of feel the same way about me, I could actually go out there and have a match with a broom.
2: Huh.
5: I saw Ronnie Garvin, uh, I didn't actually see this, I saw it on, on, on tape uh, several years ago. Uh, he got, when the um, ICW and the Pothos, and they, they had a fallen out, Ronnie wanted to kill the town, one of their better towns. So he went out and had a match with the Invisible Man. And it was I'm telling you, if if you've ever seen it, it, it's it's so classic, you know. And I mean I've I've seen it so much I can do it. And and it and it's funny if you if you especially with the younger guys and, and they don't know what you're doing, you know, they sit there and look at you like you've got two heads because you go out there and you shake the guy's hand and you lock up and then you know, you shove back and forth and then you lift your arms and get sucker punched and, and
2: then <laughs> take off running
5: across the ropes and come and just flip and take an arm drag and, 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 and then, you know, just twist your own arm and work it like he's twisted. I mean, it, it's, it's classic.
2: <laughs>
5: it's classic. And so I've always said, you know, I, I could work with anybody. Give me 10 minutes, pull somebody out the front row give me 10 minutes with them. And I can go 10 minutes with them and make them, make it look halfway decent.
4: I definitely have to check that out. That's amazing. That's, uh, yeah, you know, absolutely hilarious. I, I definitely want to see that for sure. <laughs>
5: <laughs> yeah, it was it was it was classic. <laughs> now,
4: you know, for any of those uh, White Lightning fans out there, where can they kind of
5: find you? Like, what are you up to today? Um, actually, I'm in. Uh, I've been in the bail bonding business for about twenty years. Uh, was doing it on the side there some, and then you know, uh, finally got it. Just doing it pretty much full time. Uh, I'm still in East Tennessee. I, I do, I did the Mid Atlantic uh, legend show in August. Uh, I get around, and do some stuff. I, I really hadn't done a lot in the last after Brad passed. I just, I just, uh, I lost interest. You know, I just didn't want to be around it. Uh, then after going to a couple places, I realized that you know, it made it easier to go around some of the guys and talk about Brad and, and you know, and hear some of their stories. You know. So uh, I've started to get out more. I, you know, if anybody wants to, uh, I'm on Facebook. Um, a lot of guys have found me there. You know, I, I really I stayed off Facebook till a year ago, February, and I finally broke down and got on it, and I couldn't believe how many people would, hey, is this the real white light <laughs> is, this, <laughs> is this the real, you know, this is a real Tim Yeah, yeah, I hope. I hope there's not two or three more out there, but, but. But yeah, you know, I'm I'm available to do a lot of things. Uh, um, I've went and, and did autograph signings, and been special guest referees and six man tags. Got a few dates coming up already this year uh, for a couple months down the road. So uh, excited about it! You know, I, I tell everybody you never retire. You may not getting the ring anymore but you can never retire from the business because it's just a camaraderie that the guys have and unless you've been in it you don't really understand it uh, so I don't think you ever get away from it and you ever retire from it you might retire from the ring but, but not from the actual business so especially when you've been in it 36 years maybe
2: <laughs>
4: hmm. yeah. quite, a, quite a run quite a career and I just want to thank you so much for coming on. It's been quite a pleasure talking to White Lightning, an underrated legend for sure.
5: I appreciate it. Thank you, John.
3: Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.